Uh, if you have your Bibles, take them and turn to, um, well, let's turn to Ephesians. And uh, we come to the end of this section, and so we're going to take a break uh, from the book of Ephesians now until we, uh, uh, we come back in, in the fall, and we will finish the last uh, part of Ephesians where it talks about spiritual warfare and uh, putting on the armor of God, and, and that will occupy us for most of the fall. Uh, but we get to bring uh, to a conclusion this particular section. And uh, the verses that uh, we're going to be just quickly looking at are uh, verses 5 to 9 of Ephesians chapter 6. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to a man. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. So, Father, we come before you again this morning, and as we continue to hit some of these practical uh, topics, I think they really do hit a nerve in us because we see the extent to which um, you are trying to transform us, to the extent that you will transform us and make us into the image of your beloved Son, make us into your image, in fact, because you are a God who understands submission and authority in a way that we will never completely comprehend. So would you teach us, would you give us minds that are willing to think this stuff through? Would you give us wills that are determined to obey this no matter how hard it might be? And would you give us hearts that want to do your will? I pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Probably every one of us here this morning has one story or another of either being a boss and having difficult employees under you, or being an employee and having a difficult boss over you, um, or even stretching it farther to being in difficult authority relationships. That's just part of the life that we find ourselves in. And so as we conclude this particular section on the impact of the grace of God, we are confronted once more with another area in which the gospel changes us, which the gospel transforms us. And these verses that we've just read are uh, uh, very well connected with the verses that have come before them. We've been talking about marriage. We've been talking about children and their response to parents. We've been talking about fathers and the way that we are um, to parent or to father our children. And then it seems out of the blue comes this section about slaves and masters. Well, it's not really a section that comes out of the blue. It's, it's, it's very clearly connected because in those days and in Roman culture... Slaves were part of the household. Slaves were owned. They were the property of the master of the household. They, they were um, under the roof of that household. And so it was just a logical extension of Paul's teaching to now address slaves and masters in that context. And so it's not out of place. It's not like it comes out of the blue. I think secondly, though, not only is it connected because slaves were part of the household... But it's also connected because this is part of a larger section that begins in verse 5, uh, verse 15. And this is why it's so important that we understand Scripture in its context. 
we understand how it fits because if you start at, at verse 15 of chapter 5, you get there this command from Paul for us to walk in wisdom. To walk as wise people, not as unwise people. He goes on to say there that, that we are to make the best use of our time because the days are evil. That we're not to be foolish, but to understand what the will of God is. That we're not to be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, but we are to be filled with the Spirit. And then as one of the outcomes of being filled with the Spirit, he says that is learning what it means to submit out of reverence for Christ. And so this whole section that we've been looking at is a section that helps us understand what it means to walk in wisdom. It's a whole section that reminds us of what it means to be spirit-filled people. And what a coincidence on Pentecost Sunday that we're reminded of another way in which the infilling of the Spirit works itself out in our lives. And one of those ways is learning properly how to submit to authority over us and how to, be, how to use our authority if God has given us authority for those who are under us. So it's part of that context of what it means to be a spirit-filled believer who is walking in wisdom because of God's grace that has transformed us and made us new creatures in Christ. One of the realities of life, and it doesn't matter who we are, where we live, is authority and submission is part of life. You can't escape it. Every single society is ordered with submission and authority. Our universe is ordered with submission and authority. The, 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 the Godhead, Christ, or God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is an example of submission and authority. And so it's part of the context in which we live our lives. And one of the things that the gospel does is it transforms and it changes us as it relates to how we live in submission to authority and how we exert our authority over others. Being a Christian is not just about getting a ticket to heaven. It's about a transformation that takes place in every single corner of our lives. Not only is it a reality, but this whole topic I find to be a mirror of my life. I've said this sometimes before that in, when we're raising children... One of the things that we see in our kids is that our kids really mirror us. They mirror our tone of voice. They mirror our body language. They mirror the way that we talk to our spouse. They mirror the things that we do. They can't help it because they learn by example. Well, one of the things that we realize is that our re response to earthly authority, the way that we submit to those relationships of authority and submission, is a mirror of how we respond to Christ. You cannot separate the two out. You cannot say, well, I will be submissive and obedient to Christ, but in my other relationships with people I work with or with my spouse or with my parents, I don't have to submit to them or I don't have to respect them or I don't have to use my authority wisely. The two are intimately connected with each other. And throughout the course of Ephesians 5.21, we find that Paul is always saying that your earthly relationships are mirrors of your spiritual relationship with Christ. We are to submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. Wives are to submit to their husbands as to the Lord. Husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Children are to obey their parents in the Lord. Slaves are to obey their masters as they would Christ. Servants of Christ doing the will of God. Masters are to use their authority 
properly because God is the authority over both them and those that work for them. And so you cannot separate out earthly relationships from your relationship with God through Christ. That's just uh, one of the facts. If, if we have the Spirit of Christ in us, which we do when we become Christians, then would we not also have the same attitude that was in Christ, who counted it not, not worth being, or counted his equality with God as something that he could lay aside in order to take on the form of a servant? If we have the Spirit of Christ living in us, then we have the example of Christ who had submitted to ungodly, unfair, unjust authority. We have his example in Peter who says he submitted himself, he did not talk back, he did not revile, but he handed himself over to God the Father. If we have the Spirit of Christ in us, then ought we not in in those positions when we have authority to rather than abuse our authority, put on a an apron around us, and wash the feet of those who are under us. So from Christ, and we have the Spirit of Christ living us, we learn humility, we learn submission, we learn how to properly use authority that God has invested into us. And so Ephesians is just this kind of passage. And it comes in an arena which we are not really familiar with at all in the 21st century. Back in the Roman Empire, slaves were a culture within that society. They were a distinct grouping within Roman society. And they were, in fact, the property of their masters. There was, uh, uh, some of them experienced enormous freedom and mobility. Many of them would eventually earn their freedom or be able to purchase their freedom and go on to live fruitful and productive lives in society. Many of them were well-treated. They were well-educated, they were in politics, they were in administration, they were over the whole affairs of an individual's household. But that wasn't a universal reality because others of them were very harshly treated. Others of them were severely brutalized. Many of them were killed for small instances of disobedience. It's been calculated that at the peak of the Roman Empire, there was over 60 million slaves. In fact, it's reported that Julius Caesar himself was in the course of his lifetime responsible for bringing up to a million slaves into the Roman Empire. It was just part of the culture of Roman Empire. And some wonder why it is that Paul or Peter or other gospel writers didn't take on slavery. There's lots of reasons behind that and we don't have the time to look at that this morning, but there's information that you can find out about that. We do know that Paul even in his teaching, begins to undermine the very structure of slavery, though. And same with Peter. And we do know that over the years, God would bring about the abolition of slavery in society. But even if we are freed from slavery, we still are not freed from authority relationships. We're still not released from living in submission to those who are over us. And so this still applies whether we are slaves or whether we are free. And one of the things that we ought to be very thankful for as Christians in the culture in which we live, for example, North Korea, where you can be killed for speaking a word against the leader, where you can be killed for carrying a piece of the word of God, where you can be killed for the most um, mundane of situations, 
where, or, or in, in this particular culture where you could be killed for a moment of disobedience, we have no idea of what it means for them to hear these words, be obedient to those in authority over you. So in a sense, we have it easy. But we still need to apply these words to the context of our daily lives. What are the marks then first of a, of, a, of a Christian, and I put this in quotes, slave. Because even though we might not be slaves, most of us here have sold ourselves to 40 or so hours of work. Most of us have given ourselves over to an authority which we do work for and they reciprocate and, and they are in authority over us. And so we might not be slaves in the sense of the whole of our life, but we certainly are in relationships in which we need to submit to those in authority over us. So what are some of the things that Paul teaches the slaves and the masters there that can apply in our lives? These things rattle us. They're not things that in a rebellious culture like we have that we're used to hearing. But nonetheless, let's have a shot at them. And don't wrestle with me. Wrestle with God. The first thing that he says, which I think just sets us off to thinking, is slaves, obey your masters with fear and trembling. In Colossians, in the very same context, it says, slaves, obey your masters in everything. There is a comprehensive response of obedience to those in authority over us. Children, obey your parents in everything. And so there is, at first, we're already confronted with the rebellious side in us who doesn't want to submit to um, authority if we don't like it. We don't want to submit to authority if we detect it's unfair. We don't want to submit to authority if it's got a tang of injustice into it. We don't want to submit to authority if it inconveniences our life. Paul leaves no room for that. Remember, he's writing to slaves. Some who had it good, some who had it horribly. Slaves, submit to your masters in everything. What does that look like, though? Well, he begins by saying, well, it, it's, it's, response, it's responded with fear and trembling. He says, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. What is that? It can mean anything from, from loving reverence to, to real terror. That's all encompassed in that fear and trembling. And here the context is much nearer to loving reverence. In verse 521, the same word for fear is used, that we are to submit to one another out of reverence or out of fear to the Lord. It's the same word that's used in verse 33, where it says, let the wife see that she reverence her husband. So what does it mean to obey with fear and trembling? Well, it's a, I think it's a disposition that characterizes us. It's a loyalty whose nervousness lies in the thought that a loved one might be let down or that somebody in authority might be let down. And so there's part of us that says in there that, that I, I want to do my best in this situation. I don't want to disrespect them. I don't want to let them down. So there's this fear and trembling. In another place in Scripture, it says, as Christians, we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. As we come before God, it's not that we're fearful that He's got a club and He's going to whack us, 
but it's rather we don't want to offend him. We don't want to let him down. We don't want to disappoint him. We don't want to discourage him. We don't want to grieve him. And so out of fear and trembling, we work out our salvation. He says that's the attitude that we should have to those who are in authority over us. A second thing that he writes here is that we should do it with a sincere heart or with singleness of heart. It's a reference to to loyalty, to wholeheartedness, to acting without hypocrisy or our ulterior motives. You see, God doesn't just look at our outward actions. He looks into our heart. And in our heart, he sees the motives and he sees the thoughts and he sees the intentions of our hearts. And so he says that not only are external um, behaviors supposed to reveal submission, but the inner attitude of our heart is also to reflect submission. There is active um, obedience or disobedience and there is passive disobedience. You can actively obey and inside you are rebelling inside. It's like telling a little child and you know there's all these different versions of the stories but telling a little child to sit down in the car because they're standing up and the child sits down and says oh, I'm sitting down in my body but I'm standing up inside. You know that right? We do what we have to do because we got to do it but inside we're just fighting it with every breath that we have. God wants us to even line our hearts up with the external actions towards those in authority over us. I've been reading a book I've told you about um, a number of weeks ago, Touching God um, Through Submission by, by um, uh, K.P. Yohannan. Uh, and by the way, uh, you might have come in and noticed a, a table out there with a bunch of books on it. Well, that's our, our library crew is doing that, and they purchase a number of books. And then uh, one of the ways they help the library is you go and you, you buy one of those books and then they do all the cataloging of it and you get the privilege of reading it first. And so if you want to participate in that, just on your way out, they've got a bunch of books and you can do that. They didn't have the one by K.P. in here I, and I wouldn't expect them to. But anyhow, it's, sorry, that's, that's what you get. That's a commercial in the middle of a sermon. Um, um, but I've been reading this book, Touching Godliness Through Submission. And I was just reflecting on some of the things that he was saying about what reflects a sincere heart. These are some of the things that he, he, he says. Our body language. Our body language. When we see God's delegated authority as he does, the carelessness in our stance, in the way we sit, and in the way we look at the person all begin to change. We realize that we are just not responding to anyone but to the one God has appointed over us to represent him. So even our body language can betray an insincere heart. He says another thing is our words, is the words that we use. We give honor by the titles that we use to address people. I was having a conversation with somebody in my office this week and and how titles have basically just gone from our culture. Kids no longer call adults Mr. and Mrs. And in fact, some adults don't even expect that from kids. We, we have a hard time calling police officers policemen or policewomen. We call them cops or fuzz or we can use even worse words. Sometimes we, we, we have words for our dad where we call him our old man. In our words, we're being disrespectful to those who are in authority over us. Also, the tone of our voice, the intonation, the way that we ask questions whether determine whether or not we are respecting authority from our heart he also talks about focused listening 
You should listen with the attitude of desiring to understand and follow. It's not just listening with the ears. It's listening with the mind and with the heart. You know, sometimes you can, you just by your body language, your boss is talking to you. It's like you're saying inside, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> right? That's a sign of disrespect. That's a sign of not submitting with a sincere heart. And so even in the way that we listen, we can reflect a heart that is um, not responding properly to authority. Uh, he lists other ones. Our appearance, a spirit of humility, a transparent life. Uh, you know, and by transparent life, he means hiding something that if the authority knew, we probably wouldn't get approval from. It's like that attitude in the office or in the workplace that it's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. Even that is a way of not submitting with a sincere heart. And so he says to us that we are to submit with a sincere heart, complete obedience, out of reverence, with a sincere heart, and conscientiously. Notice what he also says there. Not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. You know what he's saying when he says that, don't you? You know how... how, how, how and I've done this, and you know, I, 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 I resist authority. I always have. I've gotten a lot better at it, but I can remember just bad-mouthing my bosses and, and you know, and doing the kinds of stuff that he says here where, 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 where oh, you see the boss's truck coming down the road, and all of a sudden you pick up your hammer and you pick up your tool belt and you start working harder, and then the boss goes off and you take a 30-minute coffee break rather than a 15-minute coffee break, or you take a, an hour lunch rather than a half-hour lunch because the boss is not there to watch you any longer. And what he says here is that we are to, to serve conscientiously, not just when the boss is around, not just when the boss is watching us, not just when the person of authority is there to keep eye on us, not just to please other people, but rather, ultimately, our boss is Christ Jesus, who sees everything, who knows everything. And so we are to work the same way when the authority is around us and when they're not. We're to have the same attitude when they're in the room and when they're not. We're to speak the same of them when they're in our presence, when they're not in our presence. And so we do it not just by way of eye service, not just as people pleasers, but we do it from our heart the whole time, every way, in every situation. We are conscientious. And then cheerfully, cheerfully, to, to respond cheerfully. You know, to, to take even difficult tasks, to take even tasks we don't like, to take even things that we think are unfair or unjust. They're not immoral. They're not unethical. We just don't like them. And to do them to the best of our ability. And he says, you're doing the will of God. Do you know that what Peter tells us? We don't have the time to go to 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 onward. But there it says that when you do the will of God or when you stand up or when you serve under unjust, unfair circumstances, you are doing the will of God. And then we get the example of Christ who says, even Christ, when he was abused and mistreated and handled unfairly, he did not open his mouth. He did not revile. He submitted to those who were in authority over him, even to the point of death. I don't suspect any of us will ever have to 
experience that kind of wrestling with authority. But we do it cheerfully. It's a tall order, isn't it? We're rebellious people. It's part of our sinful nature, but it's part of us that God is wanting to transform. And he is transforming and he is changing. And it's evidence of being a spirit-filled believer. It's evidence of walking in wisdom. That we bring our lives under submission to those in authority over us. And one of the things that, that strikes me in this is, is how, and, and I've, I've mentioned it, you can't separate out your relationship with God and your relationship with other people. You can't do that. Because Peter says they, or Paul says they go hand in hand together. That you are to submit to your earthly masters as to the Lord. Do you see what he's saying? That as you walk with God and as you obey God, that's reflected in how you submit to police officers, how you submit to teachers, how you submit to parents, how you submit to politicians, how you submit to kings, how you submit to anybody who's in authority over you. You can't wrestle those two things apart. And if, if you can see that, you see how our Christian witness is so integrally connected to the way that we respond to authority or the way that we abuse authority that God has given us. You can't rip these things apart. As I've said, in six verses or in four verses here, we, as he addresses slaves, Christ is mentioned that they are to be obedient as to Christ, that they are to behave as servants of Christ, that they are to render service as to the Lord and not to man, that they will receive good back from the Lord. In other words, their walk with God and their walk with Christ is part and parcel of the way that we live in the settings that God has placed us. It's so important that we grasp that kind of stuff. That the same spirit that we have in wanting to please and honor God and walk in obedience to Christ spills over in every other relationship we find ourselves in. You notice he says, you are serving the Lord. Did you know that? When the police officer pulls you off and you're ticked or pulls you off to the side of the road and you're ticked, by your response to that police officer, you're serving the Lord doesn't mean that you can't question why he pulled you over. It doesn't mean that you have a, a nice chat with him, but your attitude reflects one of submission to that authority. You're serving God. When you, when you have a difficult boss and, and he's making life miserable for you, you are serving the Lord when you respond in the way that Paul is describing here. You're doing the will of God. Do you see how the gospel is at stake? There's a, verses that we haven't looked at, but 1 Timothy 6.1 talks about, again, the same issues of slaves and master. And it says there that you are to respond correctly as slaves and masters so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. In another place, in Titus, the same sort of situation is being redressed. And he says, so that in everything you may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Do you know that? Do you understand that as you work in your relationships, as you wrestle out with this issue, you are either adorning the doctrine of God or you are detracting from the doctrine of God. That you are either elevating the name of God or you are blaspheming the name of God. 
You're making God's name wonderful and warm before people. Or people are saying, if that's the kind of God that they serve, I don't want anything to do with that. You can't pull these two things apart. And then finally, he addresses masters. Those who have authority. And one of the things that has so struck me going through this passage is that both husbands, fathers, um, masters, we have authority. Not once does Paul say how teach us how to use our authority. He always warns against the abuse of our authority. That's one of the things that we have to wrestle with. Is not having authority, it's abusing authority. And that's where he addresses masters again. That's where he addresses bosses. That's where he addresses those of you who have authority over other people. He says, do not abuse your authority. And he begins on a note. He says, do the same to them. What does that mean? Do the same to them. I think it simply means live out the gospel. Let the same principles that you expect a Christian to to apply in their life as they respond to you, you use those same principles in response to them. If you expect your employees to give the best to you, you give the best to them. If you expect somebody to submit to your authority as a military leader, then you treat them with respect. In other words, do it's the golden rule worked out in submission authority relationships. That we be just and fair, it, it, we be just and fair towards them. And he says, and this is the negative, stop threatening. Stop threatening. To, par- to dads, he says, do not provoke. To those with authority, he says, stop threatening. Don't use your authority as a clout over their head. If you don't do this, you're going to be fired. If you don't do this, you're not going to be able to take that day off you want. If you don't do this, if you don't finish this on time, then you're not going to get this privilege. There, whatever it might be, sometimes it's subtle, sometimes it's obvious like that. He just simply says, stop threatening. And what's the opposite of threatening? I think it's encouragement. It's, it's, it's coming alongside of them and saying, you know, that's the, it looks like you're having trouble in that area. Is there something that we can do to help you do that a little bit better? Or is there something that you need? Is there a course that you need? Is there some training that you need? Is there something that you haven't understood? In other words, encourage. Come alongside rather than threaten them. It's interesting to note that a great many leaders in the Bible were first servants before they were made rulers. Joseph, servant in just some terrible situations before he was made the ruler over Egypt. Moses was a servant before he was made a ruler over the people of Israel. Joshua was a servant of Moses for 40 years before he was made the ruler over the people of Israel. David was a servant before he was a king. Nehemiah was a servant of the king before he was a leader of the people. We learn how to lead by being a servant. He says, take those servant principles that you've learned and apply them as you lead and as you exercise authority. Remember what Jesus says? Do not be like the Gentiles who lord it over people, but rather serve them. And so he says to serve. Don't play favorites. Just as, just as being a parent, as you, play, as you play favorites in the home, can be devastating in the home. So in a workplace or in an authority position, position playing favorites is smelt out very quickly and causes trouble. Treat people justly, treat them fairly, but don't play favorites. Loved ones, there is so much more that we could say here. 
But what I hope you're understanding, I hope you're grasping, is that Christianity, a relationship with God, the grace of God, transforms every nook and cranny of our lives. There's nothing that's left untouched by the gospel. That as we invite the Holy Spirit into our lives and Jesus comes to dwell in us, every single area of our life, there's a candle of the God's light that is shone in there and exposes it and wants to transform us into the relationship that God wants us to have. As we walk in wisdom, as we're filled with the Spirit, those transformations begin to take place. Specifically again, You cannot separate your work from your witness. You cannot do that. They are not two different realities. The two are intimately connected. And you hear people say this sometimes. Well, that's my church life. Those are my church people. But this is my work situation. And it's different rules and different things apply here. And if I apply my Christianity in my workplace, I'm going to be nuts. That's exactly what we're called to do. You cannot separate those two realities. We witness in the work that we do by the way that we do it. Have you learned that the gospel can work anywhere, under any circumstance? Sometimes we think in these submission authority relationships that the grass is always greener on the other side. Many of you who are older would say that's not true. You leave one difficult workplace and you'll end up in another difficult workplace. You get out from one difficult boss and you'll end up under another difficult boss. You go from one um, strict commandant to another strict commandant. It's just human nature. What we have to do is allow the gospel to transform us so we can transform the workplaces and the situations that we find ourselves in. The gospel's power is not, this is so crucial. It's not me, this is Sinclair Ferguson. The gospel's power is not dependent upon favorable human situations or sympathetic people, but on the power of God, the grace of Christ, and the presence of the Holy Spirit. This made first century slaves free men and women in Christ long before the abolition of slavery. If the gospel of Jesus Christ can work under those circumstances, it can surely work where you spend 40 hours or more each week. Do you know the best way to witness on your job is? Do a good day's work. Who's your boss? Ultimately, it's God. Ultimately, it's God that you are working for because every authority has been instituted by God. May God help us to be those who let our lights shine before others so that they might see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven.